Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. This is Sandy, and I am a dating and love coach at lastfirstdate.com. Welcome to Last First Date Radio. We are a featured show about attracting and sustaining healthy relationships in midlife. Every week I bring you in-depth interviews with top experts and cutting-edge authors in the field of dating and relationships. And today I'm going to be speaking with author Chuck Epstein about his adventures in dating after 50. Um, He had been widowed and jumped into the dating scene, and he wrote a book about it, and it's going to be a very interesting show. So I'm looking forward to talking to Chuck today. And as a dating coach, I really focus my attention on helping women become beautiful from the inside out. Um, I am all about helping people value themselves and um, set clear boundaries and learn how to communicate more effectively because when you can do all those things, you end up having the best relationships of your life. And the thing that's really cool about dating at this age, after 40, 50, 60, is that you um, you really are hopefully more mature and you know what you want and you're really dating for you, not to build a family anymore to start out and have children together, but to really grow old together and go on adventures and and have an incredible friendship. So this is all so wonderful, and that's why you're in the very best place. And so I have helped thousands of women own their value, and I would love to share a tip with you. I share a tip every week on how to be a woman of value, and today's tip is learn to receive graciously. I find that women in general are not so good at receiving. they are really been trained to give and to give sometimes to depletion. And so especially in dating, when a man offers to pay for your meal or, you know, pull your chair out for you or open the door or hold your bags, um, please stop saying, I got this or, you know, pushing him away. Let him feel like a guy and, um, and receive, because receiving is also a gift. And so if you keep saying, I got this, I'm independent, I don't need anybody, you will end up alone. And that's not what you want, especially if you're listening to this show and you're looking to improve your relationships. So two things. Um, I do have a free guide, so if you haven't grabbed it yet, go to my website when, when you're done listening today, lastfirstdate.com, and Sign up for my free guide, which is the top 10 reasons why men pull away or disappear. This is a question I get asked all the time. Why do men ghost? In fact, today there's a new video posted on my Facebook that talks about ghosting. So you can also go find me on Facebook at Last First Date, and you can join my Facebook group, which is private, which is called Your Last First Date. So go into private Facebook groups and search for Your Last First Date and you can apply to join and get some support for your dating and relationships. So join me now for episode 249, um, Online Dating After 50 with author Chuck Epstein. And before we get to Chuck, I just want to 
tell you a little bit more about him. He has written over for over 50 publications. Um, this is his fourth book, and it's called You Don't Think I'm Beautiful. It was published in October of 2016. He's won national awards. Um, he is was named the best small blog in 2009 by the Society of American Business Editors and Writers, and he holds an MA in communications and a BA in journalism. Um, I hope this is you, Chuck, so let me see. Yes. Is that you? Yes. yes <laughs> okay. How are you, Sandy? Thanks for the introduction. Good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Good. Welcome to the show. I, I had a different phone number for you, so I just wanted to make sure that we were. <laughs> on yeah, the your same instructions page were here. great. I, I, I enjoyed the introduction. I think there's a lot of overlap and um, what you said about being prepared. And, you know, at, at dating, dating post 50, you have to be very self aware. You have to be self examined. You know, have to do a good critical self examination. You have to answer the basic question are you ready to date? Because the dating scene post 50 years old is rough and tumble it's pretty fast paced and people mm-hmm. know what they want people have been divorced or widowed or been you know they've been divorced for two decades for example or they've never been married and they're they're then they're very very uh, they have a, they're uh, um victims of their own habits like we all are and they have some very very specific things that they're looking for, and uh, very, they're very, very critical too. And I think some, in many cases, some, yes, you know, there's a one strike and you're out rule, which is unfortunate, but I think that's pretty common. Whether in terms of uh, what's what's out, you know, when you're when you when people are meeting for the first time or, or so. Yeah, so you just said a mouthful there, <laughs> so I'm going to slow <laughs> you down a little bit because a lot of ideas, and I want to dive a little deeper. So um, let's let's get to you and share with our audience. How did you know you were ready to date? So if you can fill everybody in a little bit on, on what happened to you in your life and, um, you know, with, with your wife um, and, you know, threw you into this dating pool at, a, at an age where you had no idea what you were doing. So, so if you can tell a little bit of your history and then how you knew I'm ready to get out there and go on online dating. Well, I was married one time for 33 years, and my wife developed endometrial cancer, and she was sick for six years, and I was in cancer hospitals in in three states, in uh, Sacramento, California, at the University of California in Davis, and then uh, we moved up to the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, and then we moved to uh, Florida to be with my oldest daughter and granddaughter at the time, and we went to Moffitt Hospital, which is their own major cancer uh, centers, and then we went to a, a hospital called Morton Plant in Clearwater, and she died shortly after uh, after being in Morton Plant for roughly about a month, after about a, about three to four weeks after she was released. But she had endometrial cancer. She never, they never used the word remission. She had terrible luck in all of her therapies and surgeries and experimental. So she was sick for six years, and. Um, uh, and I was, you know, I was with her the whole time. I don't think she ever went to a treatment without me. So uh, when I was ready, after she died, I went to a bereavement group, and I was in Clearwater, Florida, and I was, there was about a, uh, 15 women in the group, and I was the only guy. And uh, one day they went around the table, and everybody was telling their stories, and the, the moderator asked to who in the group is ready to date, and I was the only person that raised my hand. And, mo- and most of the women were burnt out. You know, they had taken care of their husbands and, and gone through all that. And um, it was pretty tough. They had, but but I but I realized right 
there that I, uh, a lot of the women had support groups. They had friends and family. And, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a person who had just moved to Florida, I didn't have any of that. I was, as a matter of fact, one, you know, the moderator of the group said I was like a, a perfect candidate for serious depression because I had been retired, I'd been widowed, I was, I was, I was retired, so I wasn't unemployed, I had no friends and family in the area aside from my daughter. And, um, you know, I was in the process of thinking about moving as well. So all that meant that I just had to get out there and do something. So, you know, I started going online. And I went online first with the J date and then match dot com later on and you know months later but uh, you know i i uh, I started looking around as a these different cities to move i wanted to i sold my house i didn't want to be in the same house where my wife had died, so I did that and I sold the house and then I started going up and down the west coast of Florida, but I went to these different towns Sarasota Bradenton, Naples. And I went to these towns uh, as a, as not as a, a home buyer, but as a, how would a single person survive in this town? And I you know I made made some decisions. I decided the West Coast wasn't for me. It just didn't offer the the, the critical mass, the population. And then I decided to move to the East Coast. Uh, you know, more more Palm Beach, West Palm Beach, uh, Boca Raton area, and um, and I ninety five offered just a lot of um, a lot of a lot more density in terms of single people. And then I started dating, and um, you know, in the course of uh, my, you know, the dating, I was dating for you know a few, a few. It's been a few years. It's been almost three years. My wife is gone, but I started dating about two years, really. And uh, you know, I've just wasted thousands of dollars driving up and down I-95 in, in search of uh, <laughs> companions. So that's, you know, this book is is a little. I, then this book is my is a memoir, and it's written. What makes it, I think, different? I'm told is that. It's written from a male's point of view. Most dating books are written from a female a woman's point of view. And number two, it's all about my mistakes. I don't have a, you know, some of the dating experts I've seen online, they all, you know, they, it's, it's like, you know, uh, I like making a cake. They say you do this and this and this and you end up with this. And I didn't have that experience at all. You know, you, my, this book is all about my mistakes and uh, l l learning from those. Yeah, so I, I, I actually love some of your mistakes. And, um <laughs> One of them was your very first relationship. So if you um, can share that, like what you learned from that and what happened, like actually the title of the book is 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 based on that first relationship. So oh, well, can you share a, yeah. a little bit? Sure, sure. The first, well, the, the name of the book, You Don't Think I'm Beautiful, it wasn't a, really a relationship. It was one of my first dates, but... Uh, the oh, the right. name of the book. Oh, that was it, a dating it, disaster. Oh my God. That was there was a, there was more than one. But the uh, the, the, the <laughs> title of the book the title of the book comes from a woman that I met online, who lived in a very very nice country club in West Boca. Uh, pardon me, West Del Rey, West Del Rey, Florida. And um, and I went out with her when I and I met her at a, at a at a bar for drinks. And when I saw her, I knew that she was she was she was a hundred and ten pound, very thin, pale. Uh, and she could see in her eyes that she was under a lot, a lot of pressure. And um, yeah, she told me her story. She was um, in the middle of a divorce. Her husband was a doctor, and her two, her daughter was a lawyer, and her son-in-law were lawyers. And she was in the middle of a very, very bitter uh, settlement dispute over how much money to take for the divorce. And it was, she was, you know, in ten words or less, she was really in the in the middle of a nervous breakdown. So she, we went. She had no business going on a date to begin with, but I, you know, I didn't know that. And I met her, and um, uh, we went. To, we were at this bar, and then we, um, she invited, 
she invited me back to her country club down the road to an, another the, the bar there, and we sat at the bar at this really very nice country club, um, you know, with granite that was about you know four inches thick, and 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 uh, anyway, she got up to uh, to get uh, or to go to the hors d'oeuvre table or something, and I sat at the bar. And it was very, it wasn't crowded, the bar wasn't crowded at all. And then she walks back and comes up to me and looks at me in the eye and says, you know, quote, you don't think I'm beautiful. And I, at that time, I knew that she was a nervous breakdown. So I just, you know, at that point, I just got up and I I gave her a kiss on the cheek and I said, I don't think you're beautiful now. And I, and I left. But, um, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of uh, one experience. But that's where the title of the book came from. Because there's, at number one, mm-hmm. it's a, how do you answer that question? You don't think I'm beautiful. It's a, I just thought it was so sad and very odd. And it was indicative of uh, some of the mental problems I think she was, well, she was having. But when I first started mm-hmm. dating, I, uh, um, I, w- I felt like Rip Van Winkle because, I, as noted, I was married 33 years. And, I had been sheltered. I went. I was the guy that went to work with a briefcase, and my wife was healthy then and raised the kids. And she did have part-time jobs. She was a teacher and a real estate agent. And um, uh, and I just did. I was. I just went to work. And I never met. You know, we had, we had friends who got divorced, for example. But I didn't. You know, get into the details too much. And um, when I was out in the dating scene, I met women who'd been. You know, divorced for 20, you know, two decades. Women who would do anything for a meal, they'd do anything for a cruise. They'd, they, you know, the women who were making, especially in, in South Florida, here you meet, you know, women who made thirty thousand dollars a year that were living in one million dollar condominiums. Women who were dating their ex-husbands. Women who were dating their ex-husbands that were married to somebody else. Uh, uh, every possible per, uh, human relationship permutation, you know, that that you could think of is down here. And you just have to, you just you, you don't you, but you don't necessarily know all that you know so it's sort of more it's more you know if, if you take a it could be anthropological in the sense that you're trying mm-hmm. to you get a, you get a glimpse into everybody's lives you know people who had alimony you know they they were single mothers for they raised their their kids for 25 years and had to go to court to get alimony from husbands who were millionaires I mean that's common too down here you met I've now talked to women who met on dates and. And the and the guy sitting across from them, you know, asks what time it is, and he says, you know, it's it's, it's almost four o'clock, and he says, I have to go now, and she asks why, and he's wearing an ankle bracelet because he's out on, uh, you know, out of, uh, uh, he's <laughs> got a, uh, he's under house arrest for a, you know some sort of white collar felony, so you have that here too, so you have you yeah, know, the, and the stories I the stories I just mentioned, I'm sure there's a mirror image of that on the on a, from a female perspective as well, but as noted, and everything was everything I told was from a, a male perspective as well, so. Yeah, and then I met you know some girl who uh, you know it was her birthday, and I was going out with her for a few months, and her daughter gets involved and says she wants to buy me, she wants me to buy her mother, my girlfriend at the time, a present. So what was the present? It was um, she she was very fixated on a five hundred dollar pair of Gucci sandals, and at the time I didn't know her, you know I I, don't, I knew her, but I thought I thought that was a little odd and a little expensive. I would never have bought my wife a. $500 pair of Gucci sandals, or she would have bought them herself, which was no problem, but I don't know if I would have ever been involved in that discussion. But after a while, I went back and forth, and I eventually got her the shoes, and then her son-in-law told me that um, she was probably going to exchange it for cash anyway. You know, So that's, that's, what's, that's what's out here. That's what's out, and that's the wow. dating world. 2015, 2016. There are crazy people everywhere. I mean, I think online dating, what it does is it exposes us 
to people that we would never meet in real life, which has its pluses and its minuses. And I think most of us live kind of a sheltered life. Like you said, you, you were working for many years, you were married, you didn't see that world until you jumped into it. And people are often shocked, you know, that, that people like this exist or that it starts to color how people see dating, um, that there are no good people. You know, after a while, you start thinking everybody's crazy or that there aren't, there's not going to be a, a good person for you. So it's, it's hard to stay optimistic in the process. So how, how, did you, how did you stay optimistic after meeting, you know, crazy people who would get drunk and try to take your money and, and whatever else happened? Um, and then I want to get back to the relationship that you had because I thought that was a, it was a great story. But, um, yeah, how did you stay optimistic? Well, it's difficult. It's not linear. It's and it's you know I don't want to I don't want to hold myself out as a uh, a, 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 par, uh, a paragon of of, of rationality and, and optimism because I wasn't. I was depressed after I broke up with one of my girlfriends. I went to uh, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists. So I, you know, I've never and I never I never did that in my in my life. When I was married, I never ever did that. But after I, you know when when I when I broke up with a girl that I really did like, um, and it was. You know, due to a mis- uh, it was you know in, to be fair, it was due to a mistake I made. But what she did is she cut me off of communication 100%, which is one of the cruelest things you can do. It's a silent treatment. I mean, West Point used to use it's called shunning or the silent treatment. And you remember uh, the Hester Prine? They did that in some of the religious communities, the Puritans, for example. They would excommunicate you from the community, and you'd be part of the communi- community, but no one would talk to you. Anyway, with uh, at, at West Point, they did the same thing to 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 um, undergraduates, plebes who did certain things, and they didn't talk to them. But in 1970, someone took it to, I think, the Supreme Court, and they said it was a form of cruel and unusual punishment. So um, when my wife died, there was closure. She was sick. There was a funeral, a burial, and a mourning, and that's closure. And when I broke up with this girl, she just stopped talking to me literally overnight. She, like, blocked me in Facebook and and this and that, and she, you know, prevented me from calling her and writing her, and uh, uh, and it was, it was just, and I knew she was there, but I just was felt terrible about what happened, and I just was basically apologizing to her. But uh, uh, that's really, the, that's really what that prompted what the whole book was about. But uh, that's that was that was a form of that's a that's a type of uh, mental abuse, and it's usually used by passive aggressive people against others when they stop talking to you. There's no reason for adults to do that when there's no, you know, there was no money involved, there was no malice involved, there was no, you know, major story of, of stealing or abuse or deception or, you know, you know something you'd see on uh, one of the TV shows, you know, Law and Order or something like that. It was just between two people, but she just did that, and I just thought that she was a divorced woman, and she's been divorced for a couple of decades, and I just think that that's the way some people choose to make these breaks in their life so they can begin a new break so there's no overlap and that's her style but it was certainly very it was very uh, painful to me so as far as being optimistic i uh, it's not you can't i don't think you you know because you when you're when you're dating you're uh, emotionally involved just by the virtue of the fact that you're going on a date you you know people have all these um projections in mind and we all have memory you know memories there's you know studies that show we have 10 trillion memories about the past and the future and our past, pardon me, our past memories and present memories, and any one of those memories can kick in when you meet somebody. So when you're on a date, you're always upbeat in the sense that you're optimistic, and sometimes you're too overly optimistic, and you start to project things too. 
And you know, they've done numerous studies from you know different universities that show within the first fractions of a second you can make this you, you make decisions about people about whether they're trustworthy, honest, masculine, high status, intelligent, promiscuous, dominant, successful, adventurous. I mean, you make all these decisions. It's primordial. It goes back to when we were prehistoric. And two cavemen were walking down a path, and you had to decide within seconds whether this guy was going to hit you on the head with a stone or let you walk by. And we still do that today. So uh, as far as being optimistic, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I think anyone who tells you that they're optimistic on, on 100% of the time when in, in the dating world, it's just, it's just I don't, either they're not dating or they're, <laughs> they're doing something that I don't really know, what the, I don't really know the, the formula for. It just doesn't work out that way. But you yeah, gotta but, try. but you would give up, right? And you would give up on dating if you didn't stay focused on the positive outcome you were looking for. So there is a degree of optimism that that somehow you're going to meet that person. Um, yeah, you know. yeah, there so is there there, there, is, uh, there is optimism. However, I, I have met people who've given up. I have met people. Right, I that's have, what I'm saying. Is, Yes, I agree with you, and that's an observation. I've met people who gave up, and you know, one of the things that I talked about in the book is that, um, you know, there's a finale, when you, especially for older people. I mean, there's two big things in the book which aren't normally discussed on the media. Number one is that there's a, um, uh, an, quote, an epidemic of loneliness, which I, which a woman who was a Ph.D. in psychology, who was in her late 60s, told me when I was doing the research. She said there was an epidemic of loneliness among people, among her friends. Uh, who are just given up? They've given up. They go on dates, but they just don't have any success. And that's one thing, and that's never addressed. And that's also, I did more research. That's a universal phenomenon too. That exists in the European countries and Asia, and the people, especially among older people and, and people who are dating. Although sometimes they don't break it down, and there are different studies. And then there's just a very, very something that's even more depressing that there's a. We you know we all recognize that especially older people that our life on Earth is limited, our time on Earth is limited, and there's a, a very very sad awareness that um, people are afraid of dying alone, and that's out there. That's a that's a terrible thought. It's not widely discussed, but it's a common source of depression. There's a lot of depression among older people, but the thought of dying alone without a loved one. Well, you know, people will have family and friends. And you know spouses and sons no it's not sons and daughters, for example, but uh, and without having a loved one, that is a factor out there, and that's especially especially today so because i've you know I've been writing about uh, retirement and uh since the seventies, and there's uh, you know people retire retirement pre- presents its own significant problems, especially in terms of loneliness and you know losing your job and also in in terms of the financial aspect is a financial aspect of dating as well which is very very evident down here too so those those are some of the things that have to just and that that all has to be factored into the equation it's not all happy happy you know it's not all uh, you know happy hours and happy talk you know what i mean those days i think that's one of the fan, hollywood fantasies it's it's especially when you get you know people are out there looking looking for each other and they're looking for something but you just, you build in a lot a lot of unrealistic projections out there yeah, no, paid. I hear that, and I hear a lot about the loneliness. I think that it's a lot of people fear that they are going to die alone, but then there are people who really make a life for themselves. So without having to depend on a significant other, they start building out a life that's meaningful and fulfilling no matter how old they are. So I'm sure you, you write about that in your retirement writing, correct? Yeah, I mean, people do have, you know, retirement is very difficult, especially, for, I think it's harder for men than women, although it's probably more so now, because a lot of people have to, uh, a lot of a lot of people try to find a life after retirement, because they need it some, often for income purposes. 
but a lot of them, yeah. a lot of their own personal identity is tied into their work. So you, you know, when people pack up their, their, you know, they retire on a Friday and then Monday comes around, you know, the phone doesn't ring anymore. And despite all the, all the, you know, all the going away parties and the handshakes and the hugs and everything, the reality is that people don't, you know, when you're on your own, you're the phone, the phone doesn't ring, and what, what all the status that you that accrued to you when you had your job and your business cards uh, on Friday, when you're after you retire on Monday, they're useless. So that's a very, very difficult thing to do. So you have to be a whole person while you're retiring. I mean, and while, pardon me, while you're working. And that's difficult for younger people, too. But uh, you have to build something, but it's often very, very unrelated to what you were doing, especially when you factor in the, you know, the, factor in the financial aspect. And, and number two, that we're at the longevity. We're living longer. And there's the quality mm-hmm. of life as well, which is often not discussed. But all this is, you know, all these, there's, these are like concentric circles with dating, dating, retirement, personal identity, mental health, uh, and this society doesn't doesn't do that, especially with you know, the current political scene about cutting back certain financial you know which financial safety nets or things that will increase you know your your you know, your disposable income in retirement. But uh, you know these are all these are all parts of dating. It's the, you know just in terms of what what you have to what you have to factor into the situation. Yep, true. So let me ask you, you talk about dating being a self-discovery process, and I just am curious as to what are the key things that you learned about yourself through the last couple of years of dating? Well, you got to do a lot of self-examination and uh, critical self-examination, and you have to, you know, be, what's, what's important in your life, and uh, you realize the how especially for men, I, and I don't, I don't, I'm again, I'm only speaking from, from my experience, but you know, the same hormones that happen when you meet a girl, when you date a girl, when you start to like the girl, when you maybe break up with the girl, those are the exact same raging hormones that you had when you were 16 years old. And things may change. You might wear different clothes or whatever, but it's, 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 it's you really... It, it really you, you, the self-reflection brings you back to when you're you know the, when you're first when you're first dating and it's, and and it's you have to be aware of that and, and you realize that you know the more it changes the more it's the same. So you, you, one of the things is you have to when you start dating you have to be confident and self self-aware. So that if you when you go into the dating scene and you have bad experiences, which is a possibility, you have to be confident enough that your self-esteem, your psyche, your morale, and your pocketbook are all are going to merge uh, intact. And if you're starting to date after a divorce or the death of a spouse or a breakup, you have to bracket those painful experiences and start fresh. And that's you know easier said than done. But if you go on a date, you have to give the other person your undivided attention, and you have to do it in a natural, friendly, individualized, and attractive way. You know, every nobody wants no date wants to hear about your baggage from their past lives or their past relationships, uh, you know, or the bad divorce and. Um, and you're because you know you're going on a date, and you shouldn't assume that your new date is a psychiatric social worker. You know, it's not her <laughs> job to provide a therapy session. That's that's not that's the biggest turnoff. So that's definitely mm-hmm. not if that's what your version of, you know, if you feel that way, cancel the date. Period. I mean, until you throw some cold water on your face. But that is not dating. <laughs> dating, you know, you just you, the 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 your you know the, your the woman that you're dating is, that does, doesn't deserve that. She deserves a fresh start. And one of the things that's, what, that's really a turn-on is that, that you should really talk about where you want to, on a, on a date. You should talk about which, where you are now, what you're currently doing, and most importantly, where you want to be in the future. Because everyone's got a past. You know, they have 
good experiences, bad family experiences, good family experiences. But that you, what, what's good to do is what you want to do in the future. Because human beings are hardwired to be optimistic, like you, you know, you're, you've alluded to that, and um, mm-hmm. they're hardwired to be optimistic and look and that and forward and forward looking. We're one of the few animals that looks into the future. If you you know, it looks so that's so you you know talk about what you want to do. If you're taking a class, for example, I'm taking a welding class to make a table, and I'm I'm, spa- mm-hmm. I'm paying more in tuition to do, to do the welding class than I could if I wanted to go out to a nice furniture store and buy a table. But God knows I'm. Gonna, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's one of these, these stupid things you do when you retire. But it's a class, and then in the class you might be able to meet meet people, and I couldn't meet people in the furniture store. So that's something too. And in the book, I also talk about what's uh, when you when I because I was I was I was there's a whole chapter in the book about it's very important to choose the right physical location for your residence too because you know people are you, long distance dating does not work. You can't date someone two hours away. You can't date someone on the other side of the states. You can't hop on an airplane on weekends. That that that's you know unless you're just doing it for fun, and that doesn't work. So you you know even and I'm I'm not a person who lives in high rises, but high rises have benefits because you can meet a lot of people in a, in the right high rise, and that's a major consideration because proximity is a, is a a key determinant and you know how to how, how you meet people and where you you know where you're going to be, especially because if you're in the same socioeconomic class as well, that's a big deal as too. Yeah. So. Yeah, a lot of lot of really good points, Chuck. And I I think that um, that the long distance thing is difficult, but some people do it, and and many people do succeed. Not everybody can pick up and move. You know, they have restrictions with children, with economics, with whatever. But it, but I think you have to really consider all these things. And I think that the most important thing is your attitude, and um, get out there and learn from your experiences. Don't share your past. Really, it's who you are now, and it's who you want to be in the future. Share right. your dreams, share your goals. I mean, that's such important, important points. Um, so, tell everybody how they can find your book, how they can find you, as we wrap up here. Wonderful. Uh, the book is "You Don't Think I'm Beautiful." It's available on Amazon and Kindle, and uh, I have a web, a, a Facebook page too. You don't think I'm beautiful. And I try to post uh, some more pertinent information there. There's always new studies coming out about of relationships and science and and psychology. And um, I've I've been on interviewed on TV and Tampa and things like and your show obviously. But um, you know, uh, uh, marketing the book is harder than writing the book. And I think I don't. I, mm-hmm. you, you get down you get down when you're you know a you know, little, little depressed. But then you turn on the TV set and I see Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and George Bush hawking their books on CNN. So I don't feel so bad. So it's just the nature of the business, you know. So it's it's the way it is. And I think even, you know, Mark Twain had to hawk his own book or, you know, Ulysses S. Grant had to hawk his own book. So anyway, that's uh, that's that's the nature of the business. But um, the, the answer to your question is available on Kindle and Amazon. And if anybody wants to buy the movie rights, I'll get in touch with me. You know, what okay. can I say? <laughs> well, thank but you I, so much, But I really much, appreciate Chuck. the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, Thank it you, was Sandy. a delight, and that's uh, a, a good show. read. I suggest that people read it. There's a lot of great adventures and great stories in here. Um, so, yes, best of luck with your book sales and with your dating adventures. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening today, and I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a thank wonderful you, day. Thank, thank you. Thank you.